Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. Hey, Vineyard. It's good to be with you. We're actually recording this at home, but what we're doing is continuing this series called The Questions Jesus Asked by looking at a question that has to do with evangelism. So wait, before you turn this off and and switch over to Andy Stanley or something, just give me a couple of minutes because most of us really don't want to talk about evangelism or what we used to call the E word, mostly because we either think of a negative stereotype like this. All you gotta do, all you gotta do, all you gotta do is get saved. Or we feel guilty for not doing what we think we're supposed to be doing. Or we think we're going to get rejected if we talk too much about it, and maybe some of us do. Or we just dismiss it and say, that's not my gift. This is a little tricky because maybe like you, I just don't have that kind of salesperson personality. Uh, I'm an introvert by nature, and I just tended to see evangelism like that stereotype. Some of it seems so manipulative or self-promoting. Back when I was pastoring, I used to say to the staff, the day you see DaveWorkman.com, just come and shoot me. Put me out of your misery. But maybe, just maybe we need to think about this a little differently. And if you're watching this and you're new to all this church stuff, or maybe you've been turned off by it, uh, I get it. Just keep watching and maybe this will help deconstruct a few things for you. So the question that Jesus asked a crowd of people one day was simply this. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Well, that rhetorical question was clear. You can't see or do anything at night in a room without turning a light on. And it doesn't make any sense to take the light off your nightstand and and keep it under your bed. You, You can't get anything done. And here's where Jesus brings this analogy home. If you haven't noticed... The, the, the whole world is in, is in the dark and in desperate need of some light. And then to drive it home, here's the kicker. You're the light. And if you're the light, you can't be hidden. So someone needs to see you, and maybe, maybe you're their only nightlight. So, so in Matthew, who was one of the first disciples, when he writes his historical account of Jesus, he gives this, this a little more context. Uh, Jesus is talking to just a huge crowd of people, and he begins to talk about what we call the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, and uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, or blessed are the peacemakers, and on and on and on. And then he gives them a challenging mandate. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, They put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Words and actions that point them to the Father's inherent goodness. I was in a a Trader Joe's a while back and uh, buying some two-buck chucks. You can Google it later. And it was super crowded as usual. And I was waiting in the line of a cashier who was just chatting it up with everybody. He was a young, tall guy who looked like he was either in college or fresh out. And 
And I'm like, can we speed this up a little bit? I'm in a hurry. And he finally got up to me and he's looking at each item and making a comment, just a super friendly guy. And then he suddenly says, hey, let me ask you a question. If you could do anything to change the world, what would it be? And I just looked at him and thought, dude, we're in a Trader Joe's and you're throwing down some big existential question here. Instead, I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, I like to ask my customers that sometimes. I stopped and said, seriously, I, I wish I could figure out a way to tell everyone on this planet how good Jesus really is. He didn't look at me. He just, uh, he just dropped his head and he, he stepped around uh, the cash, away from the cash register and around the counter and came over to me and looked at me and said, bring it in. And he gave me a big bear hug. He's, he's like this much taller than me. A tall African-American college kid and an old, very white guy hugging it out in Trader Joe's. He said, we're, we're not really supposed to talk about stuff like that here, but I love it. Thanks, bro. But the truth is, we really haven't figured out how to tell everyone on this planet how good Jesus is. I don't always do it well, for sure, and for all sorts of reasons, none of them good. And one of the reasons is I forget sometimes not who I am, but rather whose I am, who I actually belong to, and what he has to say about that. When, when our kids lived at home, I have, uh, we have two daughters. They each had their own room. And when they hit their teenage years, something snapped in them and they developed a physical handicap and uh, lost the ability to lean over and pick up things. They, they'd have clothes scattered everywhere in their rooms. One of the girls was off the chart with this. I won't tell you which one, but there were times when you actually couldn't see the floor in her room because there were just clothes and school stuff and magazines and CDs all over the place. And what's weird is, uh, I'm a bit of a neat freak. It's, a, it's an OCD issue. Uh, I'm paperless. I won't receive anything on paper. Everything I need for work is digitized and, and in my little MacBook. And I've been, I've been that way for decades. So imagine my little discombobulated brain one day when I opened my daughter's bedroom door and saw the teenage tornado that had hit. She, uh, she needed FEMA. Uh, she could read the look on my face and she said, Dad, don't freak out. It's okay. I know where everything is. Just close the door. It's my room. And that's the part that would get me. It's my room. Because interestingly enough, the bank actually owned her room and I paid them a sizable chunk of my weekly paycheck so she could borrow it for a while. And what's more, I paid Duke Energy another chunk of money in order to maintain a temperature in the room so she could lie comfortably in the midst of her squalor listening to Newfound Glory and Hoobastank while she did her homework with papers and pencils and books that I had purchased as well. And don't get me started on insurance that I paid for. So in case a real tornado came, she'd always have a place to call my room. So ever so often I'd have to pull the dad card. And this was one of those times I said, no, you need to clean this room because this room is actually my room because it's in my house and I'm paying for it. And I can't see my floor in my room here because of all the crap that I actually bought for you. So clean it up because it's my room, my house, my rules. It, it was a, not a shining moment for my parenting and I shouldn't have been modeling sarcasm. It was not a focus on the family type moment. But here's where I'm going with this. The reality is you don't own yourself. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, he owns you. As a matter of fact, he purchased you with his own life.
the, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the letters in the New Testament, he, he hated Christians, considered them a cultish aberration until he had his own encounter with Christ and suddenly had the revelatory insight that the theme of sacrifice and atonement and blood that ran throughout his Judaism had become humanized in the person of Jesus. And his sacrifice on the cross completely and cosmically reconciled us to a holy God, a, a total miracle of grace, not based on our performance, but because of God's deep, deep love and our own inability to remove our own darkness. And in that way, he purchased us. So that's why Paul writes, haven't you yet learned that your body is the home, the, the room of the Holy Spirit God gave you and that he lives within you? Your own body does not belong to you for God has bought you with a great price. What that means is you don't own yourself. It's not your house. It's not your room. It's his. And he says, my house, my room, my rules. That means that when Jesus says, let your light shine, it's more than an option. He, he's telling us he wants us to do something with his room, which is us, the room that he owns. That puts us in a, in a whole other perspective if we really believe that we belong to him. And so it becomes a matter of obedience. So how do we do that in real or natural ways without coming off as weird or creepy? First, let's not forget that we're sharing a message that centers on one thing, a person, Jesus. And that message in the New Testament is referred to as good news. That's expressed in four ways, through words, actions, power, and character. And they often overlap and work best in conjunction. Words simply means that we verbalize the good news. It's the blending of the message that there's, there's a new king in town and a new kingdom is being established on planet Earth. It includes the message that the cancer of sin has been destroyed at a personal and cosmic level. And that's all personalized by your story, how all of that has, has intersected with your life in different ways. Your story is not my story, but if you've said yes to Jesus and his transformative power, you've been changed in some way. Forgiven, reconciled, transformed, and empowered. That, that's pretty awesome. People may not believe your message of Christ or, or argue with your apologetics, but they cannot invalidate your story. It's yours and your experience. Actions have to do with practical expressions of kindness, practical service of care, all wrapped in empathetic love. These are the behaviors of people who have taken on the role of a servant and emulating Jesus and offering mercy and grace to anyone and everyone they meet. As Jesus put it, it's treating others the way you would want to be treated. Years ago, we did an outreach at the vineyard called Carmageddon, the end times for dirty cars in Cincinnati. The idea was simple. Could we show God's love in a practical way to people with no strings attached? Could we actually do 50 different free car washes all over greater Cincinnati in a single day like a, like a carpocalypse? Yeah, we went for it. I, I know it sounds kind of goofy, but we're just trying to serve. That's it. So my wife, Anita, and I, we were leading one of the car washes on Cincinnati Dayton Road. And the first vineyard person to show up and volunteer and serve was a young woman. who was, She was so excited that this was her first outreach. 
She was uh, all tatted up on her arms and told us she'd only been coming to the vineyard for about six months. She said the first Sunday she came, we were doing baptisms. And during the explanation of what it meant to follow Jesus, to surrender your life to, to Jesus, and the invitation for anyone to spontaneously get baptized, she decided on the spot to follow Jesus. I remember saying, wait a minute, it was your very first Sunday at church and you decided to get dunked in front of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people? I mean, really, that's pretty bold. She said, no, it was just overwhelming, like I had to. And when I asked her what her church background was, she said, none, zero. Never went to church except sometimes at Christmas. That was someone hearing words, the message of Jesus to come surrender and receive new life. And it resulted in her wanting to express her transformation six months later in actions, in, in practical service. That week, I got an email from one of the volunteer leaders here, Tony Branch. And let, let, me, read, let me read you his email. He, he said... Uh, I had a very encouraging talk with a lady during the outreach last Sunday. She drove up in a nice car, rolled down her window, and asked, Okay, what's the catch? To which I replied, No catch. It really is free. It's a free car wash. It's just a practical way of showing God's love. She stepped out of her car and was nicely dressed as if she had just come from church. When she inquired again why we were doing this, I replied that it was a way to illustrate to people that God's love is free. And then she burst into tears. She explained that she's part of a church where the pastor has been preaching extremely negative messages for weeks. She said, I just wonder if we do anything right. And if we don't, then what's the point of salvation? She was upset over the messages and the congregation getting beaten up each week, week after week. So to come upon a group of Christians giving something away without asking for anything in return was a message of grace and mercy her heart desperately needed right then. Her words were, this is the kind of thing that Jesus would do. You might think this was for other people, but I can tell you it was just for me. Then Tony wrote, as she got back into her car and drove off, I had to disagree. No, not just for you. I was just as touched being used by God as you were to receive it. And that's the beauty of the economy of God's grace for us all. Is that awesome or what? A display of actions in the form of servanthood caused a theological head tilt for one person. And hopefully, like ripples in a pond, it'll go on and on. The expression of power is typically displayed as we take baby steps of faith, often combined with a level of risk taking on, uh, on our part. Years ago, before I, I pastored and back when dinosaurs ruled the earth, I was traveling and playing music in a Christian rock band. And after a concert one night in New Mexico, I invited people to surrender their lives to Jesus. We would take typically play, you know, a whole bunch of songs for an hour and a half or so, and then do a short invitation. And as we gathered the, the young people who came forward, most of them were teenagers or so, a woman in her early 30s crashed into the circle of teenage, teenagers that we had gathered backstage, and she just began shouting obscenities and making fun of what she called religion. And, uh, you know, their eyes got as big as saucers. And I, I pulled her aside and I said, 
hey, what's going on with you? Uh, there was this man with her who just stood behind her the entire time and smiled. He, he never said a word. It was, it was really kind of creepy. Anyway, she told me she had tried religion before and it was nothing but a, but a blankety blank joke. And she said she was buzzed on coke at this very moment. So there. And I, I asked her if I could just pray for her because I thought that would just shut her up for a little bit while I tried to figure out what to do next. And she said, you can blankety blank do whatever the blankety blank you want. So all I said was, God, in the name of Jesus, come and touch this woman. And boom, she immediately fell to the floor like a bag of rocks, out cold. I kid you not, I'm not making any of this up. The, the smiley guy with her looked at me and then looked at her and then looked at me. And, and the teenagers who came forward, they're all watching us with their mouths open. This is, this is not like your average mosh pit. And my first thought was, dang, Jesus, you killed her. I, I, I wasn't sure what to do. So I just kept praying like this was... This was normal, and a couple of minutes later, which seemed like an eternity, when you think someone's dead, she, she suddenly jumped up to her feet and ran out of the auditorium as fast as she could. And I ran a little bit after her, trying to do a little uh, post-counseling cleanup, but, but she was rocked, and so was I. And I was like, wow, this stuff is pretty powerful. I, I have no idea whatever happened to her, but the presence of God is powerful, and I can't help believe that she had some wrestling to do with God in her headspace later. I, I've had some crazy things happen in my life that were outside of our Western rationalistic worldview as I took baby steps to extend the kingdom of God through my little life. In the, in the historical account of the early church in the book of Acts, two of their primary leaders, Peter and John, were taken before the religious leaders of that day and threatened within an inch of their life to never, ever talk about this Jesus ever again. And when they were released, they went right back to the church in Jerusalem and their prayer together was simple. It says that with one voice they said, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place that they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They, they didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray for protection. They prayed that God would express his power through them for the sake of others, not even for their own church members. Words actions, and power, that's just the tip of the iceberg because underneath it all is, is character. And that's who you are when no one is looking. Who you really are and whose you really are will eventually tell the real story in positive or negative ways to the people who need to hear and experience what you have. A, a believer's lapse in character can destroy the good work others have been building into someone else's life. And for each of us, character is destiny. But that's a message for another time. So let's take some baby steps this week. Let's begin with actions, ways of serving and expressing kindness, and then look for opportunities to explain why in the simplest ways. You know, if just a crack in the door opens a little bit, share a little bit more. We used to say, serve them all and let God sort them out. Or 
and someone to tell you their God story first. Everybody has something to say about God, good or bad, and just listen intently. And then ask gently if you could tell them yours. Or take the big risk of asking someone if you can pray for them. And ask God to move in a way that is beyond your ability and their ability, but not beyond God's ability. That E-word, evangelism, is really not as scary as, as the enemy tries to make us think it is. Because remember, it's really good news. And to those who are thirsty and, and, and those who are hungry, and we may never really know who that is and who it isn't, it's food and water in a dry and thirsty land. And besides, it's not an option. It's a commandment to love. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that the power of your Holy Spirit would come on every person listening or watching in this moment, wherever they are. God, I, I pray that you would teach us how to use our words and our actions and, and demonstrate your power. And God, most of all, that, um, that our character would be as such that it would just express who you are and how good you, you really are. So Father, come in the name of Jesus, empower us to speak like the early believers with great boldness. And God, I pray for any of us here who maybe have never taken that first step of, of asking you into their heart. I pray, God, that we would just cry out to you and say, Lord Jesus, come and rescue me and change me and forgive me and, and fill me with the power of your spirit. Transform me and I'll follow you all the days of my life, Jesus. We thank you and we ask all these things in your amazing name, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you, Vineyard. See you next time. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.